here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Dosta, and today, I don't know if you can hear that squeaking noise, sounds a bit funny to me, but I digress. Today, I'd like to talk about paths to walk, the path, walking the path, finding the path. Have you heard this story before? Have you ever tried this attitude? Are you walking the path? Have you found the path? Do you even know that there is a path to walk? And of course, there are many paths. And specifically today, I'd like to talk about the path of knowledge, the path of devotion, the path of action, the path of meditation, and even if I can bring myself to dare, I'd like to talk about the path of love. Oh, just saying it sends a chill down my spine. <laughs> the path of love. Do you know the path of love? Have you walked very far on the path of love? <laughs> but even just this idea of a path is new to people. Most people are not on a path. Most people have not found the path. And what is that difference? What is the difference? When is it to say that someone is or someone isn't on the path? Who is to say? Who should be the judge? Who is our path overlord? Well, the only thing you can really say is whether that person says they're on it or not. What it means to them is what it means to them. And being on a path means having a sense of direction. But having goals and a determination and a clarity for what you want is not necessarily always the path because some paths are not clear. Some paths don't require determination. And when we talk about progress determination, hard work, in this day and age, we think of this capitalist, technologically driven society, which is all about making new things, new gadgets, entrepreneurship, business, management, investment, hard work, office jobs, corporate jobs, 
franchising, branding, marketing. And that's not exactly what we would call a path. That sort of progress doesn't really go deep enough to call it a path. You wouldn't really call progress a path. With these paths, the path of knowledge, the path of devotion, the path of action, the path of meditation, and the path of love, we're looking for something deeper than just a material gain or an advancement of your career. We're looking for a set of principles and values or virtues, if I dare use that word, virtues, that goes beyond things that are as shallow as what we gain from participating in the culture at large. Culture isn't enough. Our external circumstances, our situation isn't enough. We want to be delving into our being, our sense of what it's like to be us, our sense of what it's like to be in reality, to look out of those eyes of yours and see the world. So progress is not the same as a path. Now, it can do a long way. Now, there are some people that can't even get on with some progress and some motivation and some determination. Even that can do a lot if you're just fluffing around. And it's as simple as your daily routine. How do you spend your day? Is there something that you're working on? Is there something that you're coming back to again and again? Are there small things that you do that you connect to a larger picture? That's really what a path is. It's continuously finding these small steps, one after the other, and trusting that it will lead to something, something bigger, and knowing really that it will lead to something bigger, because that's the nature of a path, is that it leads somewhere. And yet still you can't really be sure where it will lead. Whereas in progress, in cash investments, business development, maybe you can be more clear as to where it will lead you. Maybe not. Maybe I can leave that one to you to decide how to think about it. Now, you notice that a path is not a highway. Now, is a path anything that is travelled along to get from point A to point B? Is that what a path is? It's just a, a route? It's a journey area? And the answer is no, a path is not a highway. The highway has heaps of people on it. The highway has everyone going for it. There's traffic everywhere. There's traffic jams. Non-stop. You might have eight lanes of traffic and someone crashes and then it's backed up for miles. You're stuck on the highway, in your car, doing nothing because you're on the highway and someone has crashed and there's so many people around trying to get past 
I'm remembered of a time when this happened to me. And I was already starting to meditate quite a bit, so I was quite patient and quite enjoyed sitting in the car. And I had some nice music on. But I couldn't help thinking, what on earth is the holdup? I still had that urge. As much as I enjoyed the music and enjoying the scenery and driving slow, I really do drive slow. (laughs) Even when there's no traffic, I'm quite a slow driver. (laughs) Because I'm always looking at the trees. (laughs) But this time, I couldn't help, I still couldn't help but thinking, now someone should come along and clean this up. This is not very good. We pay taxes. Who's in charge here? Where are the services? Look at all these people that are being held up. And when the moment came to drive past, oh my goodness, that was a terrible crash car upturned and the people had been removed so there was no one there but you could see from the state of the cars the mess they were in there could be some serious injury there and of course at that moment I thought my goodness a few moments ago I was being impatient and insisting that someone should come along and clean up Because they're wasting my time and what, just a few minutes, even just an hour or so. And you couldn't be grateful that it's not you. I had to realize that I should be grateful that it wasn't me in that car. So drive safe, people, please. If you're listening to this while driving, please drive safe. Drive slow. Look at the trees and watch the traffic. But this is a tangent. The the highway is that everyone's doing it. Everyone's trying it. A path is something a little bit more hidden. A lot less people have walked along a path. Now there's a garden path, which can be set out to find you in a place that's nice. And that can be a privilege to the people that can go along that path. A privilege to the people that are invited to be in that garden. But when I think of a path, I think of more like a bushwalk. It's a long path. And it's through the bush and it's a trodden path. And the only way you know that it's a path is that it's been trodden on. It's not like there are stones set out. So we can have treated paths or untreated paths. A garden path probably has something. It might have tiles or stones or something going on or cement or concrete. Something. Something. Wait, is cement and concrete the same thing? What's the difference? Is one just wet and one's dry and it's the same thing? I don't know. The funny things you find. But a path to walk through the bush is a lot more rare. And you meet a lot less people on the path. It's not that you meet no one. And they still have their own experience of the path. But it's something that's a lot more rare. But not entirely rare that no one has done it. 
No one's been along it before. And that can be a consolation. The things that you're trying to do, this big picture that you're taking little steps towards, it's been done before. Consider the path of knowledge. People have known the things you are trying to learn about. People have known the things that you know. And the things you want to know are known. Can you believe that? Can you believe that the path of knowledge has been walked before by many? And when I say by many, I mean by many as comparison to no one. Not many as comparison to how many people there are. Have many people walked the path of knowledge like the eight-lane highway full of traffic? No. But have many people walked the path compared to a bushwalk through the bush as compared to where all the bushes are, where the forest is? And yes, the path of knowledge has been walked. The path of devotion. The path of meditation. The path of action. And the path of love. Now some of these seem very personal. Meditation is such a personal experience. You're so much on your own. You're always being told to figure it out for yourself. It's always up to you. Make your own observations. Learn your own things. Learn to see it for yourself. Find your own truth. These sorts of things are used on the path of meditation when talking about the path of meditation. But if you consider that the path has been walked before, you can realize that these things along the way of the path of meditation, have been seen before, experienced before. And you're not the only one. And of course, not like many, like the way of the highway, but many in the way of, it's not that you're going to be breaking new ground. Now, you will be breaking new ground for you. It will be your personal breakthrough, your personal newness. And then, of course, perhaps maybe even more personal than the path of meditation is the path of love. Would I dare say that someone has loved the way you love long before you did? Would I dare suggest that? Or is love something so pure, so new, every time, that it only ever happens once, in the way that it does? And of course, this is a conundrum of love. And love really is the, the collapsing of the personal into the impersonal. So the path of love, as a path, has been walked before. And these paradoxes of the personal and the impersonal are part of that 
path. It's contended with, it's explored, or I could say even dissolved. So we should spend some time on each. The path of knowledge, devotion, action, meditation, and love. Do you know what these are? When I say these words, do they come clear to you? Does the whole world open up? Do many things come to mind? The path of knowledge, in essence, is, well, read a lot of books. It's that simple. The path of knowledge is words. It's cognitive structures. It's theories. It's psychology, philosophy, history, biographies, narratives. It's all sorts of things to do with the mind. Now, Usually, someone who is an expert on the path of knowledge, they're good at talking. They can say a lot. And they have a large amount. They have a diversity of words. And they can string things together. And you sit back and you listen to that person and you think, wow, they're really insightful. Wow, I really enjoyed listening to them. My mind really got woken up by them. This is knowledge. This is big mind. Now, there are traps to the path of knowledge. There is this thing of always reducing things to knowledge, always reducing things to an explanation. And when everything becomes an explanation, you miss the essence of what is beyond the words, what is beyond the essence, what is beyond the finite collapsing of its experience or an experience of it into words. So knowledge is really, it's really a finite process. It's a, it's a, it's a process of making things into something finite, of turning the infinite and the vast and the open into something tangible, solid, with clear edges. It's about putting boundaries around things, compartmentalizing things, categorizing things, collating things, ordering things, systematizing things, labeling things. The path of knowledge is, in essence, how do you label every single thing? Now, of course, knowledge opens up in many ways. And we've talked about many theories of mind here. We've talked about cognitive shapes. We've talked about rationality. We've talked about spectrum thinking, second-tier thinking. The path of knowledge is vast. So when I say it is a, it, it, it has the job of making the infinite into the finite, that's just one way of looking at its function when really what's happening... Uh, uh, well, another way of thinking about it is that you're actually opening up. So when you're on the path of knowledge, you don't feel the sense of the beyond 
collapsing into the finite, you actually feel this sense of things opening up and expanding. When your knowledge expands, you expand. When you get more knowledge, you get more of yourself, more of existence. Because, of course, there's a directionality to the path. And the path of knowledge is from ignorance to knowledge. From simple mind to big mind. So your mind becomes more complex, and pleasantly so. The path of knowledge is really about connecting parts. And if you listen to someone knowledgeable, what they'll be doing is they'll take something small and then they'll expand on that. And then that thing that they've expanded on, they will expand further. And then on that further point, they will expand even further into this sequence of connecting parts. And if they're really knowledgeable, this initial thing that they start with is very, very small. It's very, very simple. It's very basic. It's very easy to understand. And where they end is very large. It's this big, broad thing. It's a grand thing. It's profound. And those steps in between, you can see how they got from the small to the big. And this is a sequence of connecting parts. And when you can explain that, and someone knowledgeable demonstrates that, then you say, well, they're knowledgeable. So someone knowledgeable not only shares the content, and not only the structure, but sort of like a how-to of knowledge. There's a metaphysics to knowledge. And in that sequence, you can see, well, now that I've got that pattern, now that I've got this connection from the small to the large, now I can make another connection somewhere else from something small to large. And you, I've seen this in some people. It's, it's the sort of moment where you scratch your head and you think, well, I see how he's made them connect. He's connected the dots and I can see how it makes sense. But it's still blowing my mind that two things can be related. It's so amazing that two things can be put together. And I never could have done that. It's that funny moment when you're having a conversation with someone and you know they're right. They've convinced you. They've won the argument. Well, it's not necessarily an argument, but they've made a very clear point. You think, wow, that's a very good point. And yet somehow it's still surprising to you. It's still hard to get your head around. It's still grappling. Now that's the path of knowledge. To walk the path of knowledge, you just have to read a lot of books. There's no way around it. Or listen to people talk. Or both. Preferably both. If you want to read a lot of books, well, that's one thing. If you want to listen to a lot of people talk, that's another. But really, they go together.
And the third process is an amalgamation of knowledge. You have to have your own process, which means writing. It means summarizing. It's studying. This is what studying is. When you go to school or university, you read a lot of books, you listen to your lecturer, and then you form the essay. You write the essay. That's knowledge. That's comprehension. That's distilling information. You've got your quotes. You've got your discussions. You've got your examples. You've got your references. And it's all going to be contained within your mind. Now, really, the path of knowledge, it's all mind. It's all in the head. And that's not to say that knowledge doesn't open you up to other parts of existence. And really, if you walk a path long enough, it breaks out of itself. Because it might be that you're reading a book and it starts to talk about other things. If you're reading diversely enough, it will start to talk about things which are beyond knowledge. And you can get a sense of the beyond. And it can mean, and I mean beyond here as in, yes, grand existential mystical experiences, but I mean also beyond as in just different things. So if you read a book about yoga or bodywork or exercise, that's a physical thing. Now, it's unlikely that you'll necessarily, well, I don't know, is it likely that you'll start to do exercise and physical things because you're reading? Maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's part of the path of knowledge. Maybe the path of knowledge does skewer all the other paths and there are branches off into emotions and bodywork and feelings and experiences of the beyond. But there's always the chance that these things won't open up and there won't be a, a move towards something more than just knowledge. And those other avenues will remain as explanations. Bodywork will be able to be explained by someone. It's one thing to explain yoga. You could perfectly possibly, it, it's perfectly possible to give a history of yoga, name a whole bunch of forms of yoga and yoga gurus, even identify the positions and the names of all the yoga positions, and yet to have not done yoga. And you can even talk about the, the feelings and the experiences of yoga without having had them yourself. You can read someone's book, someone's testimony, someone's biography, and you can quote that person, oh, so-and-so had these amazing openings from practicing yoga. But that's not yoga. That's not experiencing. That's knowledge. And that's one of the dangers of the path of knowledge that it remains it remains how it is it remains closed it remains with the habit of putting the infinite into the finite 
the path of devotion has many forms. Of course, the question is, well, what are you devoted to? You can be devoted to a living person. You can be devoted to a dead person. And you can be devoted to an imaginary person. And of course, part of me thinks when I hear that, they think, well, God is imaginary. These religious figures are imaginary. Why would you be devoted to an imaginary person? They're not real. Well, there are advantages to being devoted to an imaginary person and even a dead person as opposed to a living person. And one is that when you are devoted to a living person, they have a power over you. And they can make mistakes as no one is perfect. As opposed to when there's a dead person that you're devoted to, it's no advantage to them. And a dead person can't make mistakes. They've already made them. <laughs> Should you be devoted to someone? Should you give your life to someone? Should you serve someone? Of course, there's this resistance. There's this saying, no, you should be your own man, be your own woman. Independence. Think for yourself. Be a skeptic. Be autonomous. There's a lot of resistance in some cultures to the path of devotion. And you might say, well, I'm not going to give my life to anyone. I'm going to figure it out for myself. I'm going to walk my own path. And I'm going to become knowledgeable. And to that I can easily say, well, how can you trust someone else's knowledge? (laughs) Are you devoted enough to just swallow other people's knowledge? Are you just being devoted to someone's thoughts? And this is where knowledge and devotion starts to dissolve. This difference is, well, if you're going to trust books, why not trust a person? And really, the path of devotion takes a deep wisdom. It takes a humility. It takes an ability to humble yourself. The path of knowledge is for the know-it-alls. For the I'm right, for the look at me, I can explain it, the smart aleck, even in a subtle way, even if it's not an overt smart aleck sort of way, it's a subtle thing. Whereas devotion, you have to admit there's someone better than you. There's someone that knows more than you. There's someone that can show you things that you cannot find for yourself. Really, the path of devotion is acknowledging that someone has walked the path before you and you're willing to let them help you. You're willing to have them as a guide. And that is a deep wisdom. That takes a very profound sense of 
how to navigate a way through life. Of course, you don't have to just be devoted to a person. You can be devoted to a cause, to a philosophy, to a religion, to a set of values. And that can be a bit tricky in and of itself because these sorts of structures are a little bit floppy. They're a little bit unclear. Something like religion or a cause or a philosophy, they're there's so many different ways and they're changing and your experience of them is 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 all over the place and in a sense they have to be that way in order to remain as a path because the path is dynamic all paths have these ups and downs and ins and outs highs and lows dangerous parts resting parts So if you're going to be devoted to a cause or a philosophy or a religion, it has to be something deep. It has to be something complicated. And it's not like being devoted to a living person who you know is smarter than you, more brilliant than you. Someone like a guru or a master. These are the sort of people that I'm thinking of. To be devoted to a guru... And to really say, yes, this person knows better. Well, that's got a different quality to being devoted to a philosophy. And, you know, there are even, there are even advantages to being devoted to someone. And they're not, they don't have the best interest in you. They do have it wrong. You know what? I'm going to be devoted to this guru even though... They might be wrong. And in fact, there's a game that occurs between gurus and disciples which plays on this exact fact. And the guru will give the disciple, the student, the wrong answer, send them off in the wrong direction, and mess them up on purpose, knowing that the student is devoted to them. And the shock, the breakup of, oh, You told me the wrong thing and I messed up because I was devoted to you. And the guru turns around and says, yes, I know I did it on purpose just to mess you up because you needed to learn a lesson. That is a game in and of itself that has some value. To break apart your experiences, to open you up, to find new things, to cut through your habits, to cut through your limiting beliefs, to smash your values to dissolve your ideas. There's all sorts of trickery things that can occur when a student is devoted to a master or a disciple is devoted to a guru. Now, in the case of a guru or a master, find someone who really is brilliant. Find someone who resonates with you. Find someone whose personality does appeal to you. I mean, there's personality. I mean, there's, there's brilliance and then there's personality. And there really are some extraordinary... There, there are human beings. This is something your worldview must contend with. And that is the human beings that are astronomically smarter than you. 
How do you deal with the fact that there are people on this earth that are astronomical in their ability to experience reality? And really, the only solution for that problem is devotion. Give yourself to that person. Do what they say. Whatever they say, you do it. You accept it. Because, of course, they know better. Because if you can just get a taste of what they have, your life will be so much better off for it. And even if it means they tell you to do terrible things, well, not terrible things, have a morality. But if they tell you to clean toilets, they tell you to scrub the floor, they tell you to work here, they tell you to give all your money, These sorts of things. Leave your job. Give all your money. This is how cults are started. This is how, well, these are how all sorts of human institutions and collectives are started. And of course, the knowledgeable people come in and they say, well, let's be skeptics. Think for yourself. Find your own path. Independence. But these knowledgeable people, they miss what the people of devotion get. They miss getting something from these enlightened people, these ascended masters. So it's a tricky game, the the path of devotion. It's a very... With all paths, there are... There are wrong turns and dangers on all sides. But the path of devotion is a lot better than just just being a, like a smucky blah blah guy. Like just just whatever. Just oh I don't care. No one's interesting. Oh yeah, I guess he's smart. Apathy. Boredom. Just like the, just like, yeah, just that's a good phrase. Just like, ugh, this sort of thing. And you compare that to someone who's devoted to a master and feels them and listens to them and soaks them up and merges with them. Someone who can really drink the juice that they've brought out of reality. Someone who can really just take in all the magnificence that this master has found. A master is really a gift. A master is someone who's been sent from beyond to show us the things that we can't see for ourselves and we wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. And it's our wisdom. It takes the wisdom of us It's in you, it's in me to listen and to hear and to receive their gift. That's the wisdom of the path of devotion. Of course, there's also forms of devotion which are not just for a master or for a religion or philosophy or a dead person, or an imaginary person. But also just being devoted to your wife and kids, or your husband. 
be devoted to your family values. Or dedicated. It means doing what needs to be done. It means doing the absolute best you can. And really saying to yourself, now I'm going to hold myself to that. Am I being dedicated to this family? Am I being dedicated to this relationship? Now it might be in it might be that you're in this relationship and you have these distractions like, oh, I want to be with other people. Oh, I want to do other things. Oh, I don't want to be spending time here. I need my independence. I know what I want. I want to work on my own things. I want to have my clarity of progress. Now, that's not being devoted to the relationship. You miss something when you do that. When you say that this is my duty. When you say this is my duty to service this relationship, to pay respects to it, to hold it in reverence, and to do the gestures that uphold that. Buy your partner flowers, buy them chocolates, and occasionally just say, this is the night where we come back to being together, and we recommit ourselves. Now, sometimes married couples do this thing where they re-say their vows, or they, they redo their wedding. It's like a second marriage. And there's a great power in that, to say that I am devoted to you. I'm not going to mess around with other people. And these ambitions that I have, yes, they're great, but I'm just going to put off my ambitions a little bit. I'm going to be okay with sacrifice of what I want. I'm going to sacrifice it for you. Now, we can only just discuss personal intimate relationships here a little bit. Of course, it's a whole world there. And there are many ins and outs and ups and downs and adventures and dynamics that happen between couples. But if devotion has never been part of that, then I suggest you try it. And just try it for some time. (laughs) Of course, devotion is has levels of how final it is, (laughs) how long it lasts. (laughs) I'll be devoted for a certain amount of time. (laughs) Is that possible? I'll be perfectly devoted to you for the next week. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you can sort that out with your husband (laughs) and your kids. (laughs) Maybe make it longer than a week if it's if you've got kids. <laughs> so now we come to the path of action. The path of action. Now, more commonly, I've called it the path of action here, but really, traditionally, in the ancient religions, it's called the path of karma. And karma just means action or good deed. And it's this sense of behavioralism meeting with morality. It's how do we bridge our morality, what is right, what is wrong, with action. 
An action is what you do with your physical body. It's work. It's skill. It's building. It's developing. Now, when we say action, you notice that we get very much close to this picture that we painted at the start of this conversation of the capitalist society, this entrepreneurship society. Massive action. That's what the entrepreneur says. Hard work. That's what the businessman says. Skills. Delivering results. Results. Yes, that's a good buzzword of the capitalist. Results. Is that what action is? Is that what the path of action is? And the answer, of course, is not. The answer, of course, is no, because that's a value structure that is devoid of morality. And when I say that it's devoid of morality, I don't mean to say that it is immoral. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying here burn the banks and down with capitalism. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's simply that we need to understand that that is a value structure which fits within many other value structures. There are multiple value structures. There are multiple perspectives. And not only that, but these perspectives are all devoid from morality. Morality is a thing unto itself. Morality is not a value structure. It's not the same as a it's not the same as a value structure. And of course morality does come up as a part of value structures and it's more so than in others. So when we talk about traditional values and family values and a conservative values, then morality does come into it more. So keep keep morality as its own thing. It's its own skewer. It's so easy to mix up value structures with morality. And the path of karma is the action in relation to your morality. And that's distinctly different to your action in relation to your value structures, to your values. The path of karma really begins with you saying, what is the right thing to do? How should I act? What is the good thing to do? And for many people, the answer to that is, well, stop doing harm. It's one thing to do a gesture in the direction towards good, and it's another to do a gesture which is away from bad. Just stop doing the things that are causing trouble. Stop doing the things that are causing damage, that are causing harm. And really, this can't be separated from perspective and awareness, because how are you to know what's doing harm? How are you to know what's doing damage?
does it feel to you that ordering food which comes in plastic packaging is bad for the planet? Is how much plastic you consume, how much plastic you use, how much plastic comes into your possession by means of food or any other product or item whatsoever it may be, and then goes out as a way of trash, landfill, or even in some cases worse, it's going into the sea in some countries, some places, some ways. Is that something you're aware of? Is that something that happens to you? Now, when we talk about morality, the birth of morality is when you get that sense it's when you start looking at your packaging and you're looking in your trash bin after a couple of days and you're saying, wow, there really is a lot of plastic in there. I wonder if there's some way I could reduce that plastic. Now, right there, you can see that that moment, there's this fine hair razor detailed like the, the, the prick of a hair between the feeling and the action. The action is just about to be born. And if we can really delve into that, just imagine standing in the kitchen and you're looking into your trash bin and you see the plastic. There might be plastic from the ravioli, plastic from the bag which you got your veggies in. Plastic from some sauce, plastic maybe from some chocolate, plastic bottle from a drink, plastic milk bottle. And you're looking at these and you thought, well, I bought these groceries this, this week for my food and I can see how much plastic it is. And they're all plastic. And somehow, somewhere before, in a complex web of situations and impressions upon your perspective... A whole bunch of things have come together somehow miraculously for you to have this sense. Now, it might be that you saw a documentary about plastic. Now, now the connection is never going to be simple. It's not going to be like black and white. Oh, I saw a documentary about plastic wastage, and now I'm standing in my kitchen looking at my plastic. Now, sometimes it's like that, but most of the time, the connection is unconscious. It's unclear to us. We don't make the connection. It's more general. It's gradual. The birthing into these moments of morality are... They're, well, they're, the, the moment when you're standing there in the kitchen looking into the trash, you're not going to think, why am I thinking this? You're not going to reflect on how am I getting this feeling? You really only have time in that moment just to have the thought, well, there's a lot of plastic there. And the feeling doesn't always translate into action. It might be that you carry that feeling with you, that thought with you, and you don't change your actions. You don't buy less plastic packaging. You don't recycle more. You don't carry your own bags to the supermarket. You might just end up thinking, oh, well, I'm just one person. I can't make much difference. But the path of action, if you say to yourself, I am on the path of action, 
I'm the on the path of karma is aware of this. They're they're aware of this exact thing, and not only are they aware of it, but a person who is on the path of karma makes this central. What is good action? And they can draw their attention to that moment, the very hair, the pinprick of a moment, which always proceeds just before an action. And they wait just a moment and say, hang on a second, what exactly am I just about to do? And is it the right thing to do? And then they listen to that. They listen to that and they say, well, which direction should I take? What action should I take? And I'm going to trust my sense of what is right, what is wrong. So it's very easy to think of the, the path of karma as, oh, I need to go to Africa and build schools, or I need to start a philanthropy project, or I need to give to charity, or I need to volunteer for someone or some service. I need to work for something that's volunteer-based. But really the path of karma, the path of action, is these small steps which lead to the bigger ones. And these people that are making these big I mean, it's one thing to have a lot of money and to use money as your action. It's another thing to have your personal actions amount over time to a morality, to, a, to, to good deeds. And, and how does it build up for you? I don't know. I don't know. You can tell me. You can tell me about it. You can tell me how you go with this and see if you notice. See if it's your experience that there is something telling you right before you do each thing, whether it's right or wrong to do it. And that's the path of action. And now we come to the path of meditation. And the path of meditation, of course, like all paths, is distinctly different from all other paths. They all have their own sense of what it's to be like. They all go to their own places. They all have their own traps and ups and downs. Meditation is really about self-trust. It's about trusting yourself. It's really about being an original being and opening up what's unique to you. And the path of meditation is about freedom. Meditation really is the path to freedom. Whereas in the path of knowledge, you can be a prisoner of your own mind. The path of devotion, you can be a prisoner to someone else or to a cause. And in the path of action, well, you're a slave to your 
actions, you're driven by action. Whereas with meditation, freedom, freedom, real freedom opens up. And you expand beyond so much that there's a flowing and there's a fluffing and there's a dissolving. You really let go of your boundaries. You let go of your strings. You really dissolve these edges. And meditation really is the final freedom. It is the thing that sets you free. The path of meditation is about the unknown. This is distinctly opposite, it may seem, to the path of knowledge, because the path of knowledge is, well, what is known. Meditation is, well, how do I step into what is unknown? How do I go back to my ignorance? How do I go back to my innocence? How do I really bask in the sense that I have absolutely no idea what is happening right now. I really cannot put words to it. I can say it's absurd, it's strange. I can say that I know there's more happening than I can really care to explain or even understand or even experience. But these are things that I say. These are just words. This is a, a trick to have the path of knowledge come back and say, well, this is knowledge. You can be knowledgeable about meditation. You can know a lot and say a lot about meditation. But that's not the same as being in the unknown. The path of meditation is when you... Sit down on your cushion, close your eyes, and you step into the unknown. And it's incremental. A path is made of small steps, and there are milestones along the path. There are milestones amongst the unknown. And the path of meditation is all about that. So in some ways, a path is... The path of meditation is like a path of any other kind of path because it's a path. But really it's its own thing. The path of meditation is contradictory to other paths. And that can be a that can be a starting point. That can be even a A way into freedom is away from bondage. There's a famous, well, not famous, but there's a well-known, well, I don't know if it's well-known. There's a traditional meditation, I should say, an ancient meditation, which is called Neti Neti. And what Neti Neti is, you've probably heard of this, is it's not this, not that. And this is a meditation which plays on this exact idea of the contrary. 
of the going against other paths or other structures or other things. The unknown is simply how do you get away from the known. So this neti-neti meditation is where you sit down and you say, not this, not that. And every single thing that comes up, you say, no, it is not that. Which means you'll sit and you'll have an idea and you say, no, it's not that. You'll have a memory and you'll say, oh, it's not that. You'll have a feeling in your body and you say, no, it's not that. Something will happen in the room. Maybe someone will knock on your door saying, hey, what are you doing in there? Well, <laughs> I hope you have at least some privacy. Maybe, maybe it's the kids. that say, the, the kids knock on the door and say, hey, daddy, what are you doing? Go away, I'm meditating. (laughs) But you say, not this, not that. Wherever it is in your experience, whether it's in the world or in your mind, as a memory or a thought, in your room, or in your body, in your muscles, in your blood, in your feelings, whatever it is, all of these things, you say, no, it's not that. It's not that. That's not it. No. And if you do that long enough, you get a sense of this falling backwards. And I say falling backwards, it's a directional thing. It's just a way of talking. It's not necessarily like falling, and it's not necessarily in the way of backwards. It might be rising forwards for you. It might be sliding sideways for you. But you get this sense of something changing, and you don't know what it's changing to. And that's moving to the unknown. That's an expanding of the unknown. And really, the the path of meditation is about transcendence. Where the path of knowledge is about gaining more, the path of devotion is about giving and opening to someone. And the path of action is more about these repetitions and these sensitivities. Meditation is about transcendence, which means going beyond. It means about seeing how... Transcendence is seeing how something that once appeared as everything now only appears as a part. Something that overwhelms you then becomes something that you have. You can have an emotion or an emotion can have you, for example. And transcendence is that process of Wow, it was so big and occupied so much of my experience. And now it seems itty-bitty little, small, tiny little thing insignificant. Now, one of the things you need to contend with on the path of meditation is meaning. And perhaps like morality, meaning is something that skewers through all paths. And they all have their own ways of dealing with it. But transcendence gets at meaning in a very peculiar sort of way because transcendence is 
in some ways showing how what was so meaningful is also now meaningless. Now, meaningful and meaningless is different to meaningful and insignificant. And immediate might be different to, well, immediate, immediacy is different to significance. An event in your life is no longer immediate, but it can be significant. And even when it was immediate, it might not have been that significant to you. Now, meaning is a big conversation topic. We can say a lot about meaning. We can skewer it through value structures. We can put it in multiple perspectives. And it comes up on multiple paths. They all have their own ways of dealing with meaning. Knowledge always has something to say about what something means. Something means something on the path of knowledge by how you explain it. What does that mean? Well, here's the explanation. That's what it means. And on the path of devotion, you might not need an explanation. You say, what does it mean to you to follow this guru? And all you have to say is, it means everything to me. It doesn't matter what it means. I just get so much out of it. Something like this. And if you talk to someone about action, right action and wrong action, and, they, and you say, well, what do your actions mean? What, are the, what is the meaning of these actions? <laughs> Usually I hear that when I'm in trouble. <laughs> what, are the, what is the meaning of these actions? And of course, on the path of karma, you can see the actions and you say, well, they mean good deeds. They mean well. They mean good things. I can see what you mean by doing that. I just have to look at your actions and I can see his intentions. Actions are quite clear when it comes to meaning. You don't need to explain them with words like in the path of knowledge. And meditation has this step towards the unknown. It has this transcendence. So meditation has the process of changing meanings, recontextualizing meanings experientially, not just knowledgeable, knowledgeably. Yes, meaning is a big one for the path of meditation. And it's distinctly different to the others. I feel there's probably quite a lot we could say about meditation. And what I'm offering here as, oh, it's about self-trust or freedom or the unknown or transcendence. This is just the explanation. It's the explanation that's coming to me now. And, of course, that changes. There are all sorts of ways of talking about the beyond and what happens in meditation and the path of meditation. And really, we should come back to this thing that it is a path. And when you make a path central to you, you say that that's your thing. 
I do the path of meditation, which means I am dedicated to it. I'm devoted to it. (laughs) Can you be devoted to a path? Can you be devoted to knowledge? Can you be devoted to your meditation practice? <laughs> That's when things really start. I can I can already see the the paths the paths are starting to merge, but the the ability to keep them separate and also to well you, you have to walk a path a certain way to have some idea of what that path is going to be like. Now, some people take it all the way. Some people say, I am going to go all the way with this. I'm going to go deep into this. And others say, well, I'm going to try a few different things, or they try a little bit of the way, and they say, oh, that's enough for me. But the difference is, well, falling off the path is very different to saying, well, that's enough for me. Because if you just get lazy with your meditation practice or you just forget to meditate, or you just say, oh, I don't want to meditate anymore. Oh, it's not doing anything for me. Oh, I don't get as much out of it. Or I'm in a slump. If you're in a slump and you give up, or you're in a, you're in a tough patch and you become lazy, that's different to saying, I've heard enough from this path. I've walked this path enough. Now, you really need to be honest with yourself. And there will come a time when someone can look at you and ask, do you know the path of meditation? And you can say, yes, I know that path. I have lived that path. And that's not to say that there aren't things they haven't discovered. That's not to say there are things you haven't found yet. Not to say that there's not more to work on or more to walk along. It's not to say you know everything, but you can say, I know that path. I have lived that life. And that's different to saying, oh, I've tried meditation. Oh, I've dabbled in meditation. Oh, yeah, I know, I know about meditation. I know a few little things here and there. Do you really know? And I don't mean know as in this word knowing. It's really a funny word, isn't it? To say, do you know meditation? After all that we've said about the path of knowledge, I end up saying, do you know meditation? And really, a better way of talking would be saying, well, have you walked the path of meditation? I have to use this metaphor of the path to illustrate what I'm saying. And that's really up to you to answer. That's really up to you to discover. And it does come back to this idea that there's a difference between being on a path and not being on a path. And each path is separate to each other. Even though at a certain point they all converge. And now we come to a point in the conversation where we can say a few things about the path of love.
and maybe at some point during this conversation, the thought is coming into your head. Hey, Dosta, have you walked these paths? Hey, Dosta, do you know about the path of devotion? Dosta, do you know about the path of meditation? Who are you to be saying all these things about paths? Have you walked these paths yourself? Or are you just being knowledgeable? Hey, Dosta, you sure do have a a lot of knowledge about the path of meditation. (laughs) You do seem to be talking quite a lot about the beyond. And of course, what has it got to do with me? I have walked these paths, but the question is how far? How far have I got along these paths? How deep have I gone? And the answer is, well, I've gone enough to know that there is a path. I've gone enough to have found the path. And I know I keep saying the path, like there is only one, even though we're talking about how there's many. And really, a path is, well, you choose one of these and you are you, you have one of them as central. You have one of them as central at each time. When the time is right, depending on where you're at in life, each of these will be appropriate at different times. And at different times, these have been appropriate for me. And the reason I bring up this question of, well, Dosta, do you know about these paths, is because, well, when we come to the path of love, it is something very personal. When I think of the path of love, I I get a chill down my spine. Something does happen. Just just to talk about it, just to, to even stir up, well, how is the path of love? And I would say of all these paths that we're talking about, probably the path of love is the one that for me is... Well, it's it's the it's the hardest to talk about. It's I don't I don't want to say difficult, but it's there's something there's just something there's something about the path of love which really there's a power to it. There's a because it, it plays with passion. The path of love has this thing of passion to it. It has this fire to it. Which is something that the others the others can have. They have their own sparks, but really the path of love has to have it. It's it's more central to it. Love is heart-centered. And the heart is a strong muscle. The heart is pumping. The heart pumps the blood through the body, through the veins, to the skin. The heart is your center. So the path of love is 
a path that really it really breaks down a lot of things. It's definitely going to break down knowledge. Whatever knowledge you have becomes really quite useless on the path of love. Probably more so, probably probably of all these paths that we're talking about, knowledge, devotion, action, meditation, and love, the one that doesn't fit the best, or the one that really doesn't fit at all with love is knowledge. Now, if you talk about devotion, the path of devotion, now that is actually quite similar in some ways to the path of love. Because if you're devoted to someone, you can love someone. If you love someone, you're devoted to them. There are a lot of correlations there. And meditation has a crossover between love. You can open to love through meditation. But knowledge knowledge is a is one that you really have to give up. It's really one that is it's it's all of the mind. Knowledge is of the mind and and love is of the heart. If, the, if action is of the body, meditation is of the being, knowledge is of the mind, then love is of the heart. Love is that feeling in your chest. Love is to do with your emotions. Love is to do with your, your fire. Now, what does the path of love look like? Well, what might it look like? If you start with a small step and you add those small steps together, you can say, well, what do you love? What's the easiest thing to love? The pet dog. (laughs) That's what I always say. It's very easy to love the cute doggy. Maybe your girlfriend or your kids or your husband, significant other. You can love them. Or you can love your friends. Can you love strangers? Can you love enemies? Can you love objects? Can you love an object? Can you love an object that you just picked up off off the beach like a rock? (laughs) But this sequence of the, the dog, the family, the friends, the strangers, the enemies, the objects. That's an illustration of what the path of love might involve. And as I say it here with words, it seems so small. It seems so easy. It seems so simple. Just expand your love circle wider and wider. But this is just a way of talking because really the path of love is putting that into your being and making love, the experience of love for those things, your practice. And there are techniques for love. There are processes for love. And if you're on the path of love and you're consciously saying, I need to expand my sense of love through whatever these, through, through whatever, it doesn't have to be family, friends, strangers, enemies, objects. This is just 
one sequence of, it's an example of a sequence of a widening circle. It can be as simple as one thing, many things, and all things. If you can just love one thing, find one thing and deeply, intensely love it. And then say, well, how do I expand that to many things? How do I love more than one thing? And if we're talking about intimate partners, we can say, well, who is the intimate partner that you loved? Who is the one intimate partner that you really loved? And of course, there's all these, there's all these complications like, why should I love them? I have to find the right person to love. I'm not going to give my love freely. It's too much effort to love. I would only fall in love if I could just find the right person. I've only been in love a few times in my life. But these sorts of things, these sort of defenses, these resistances, this is exactly what the path of love comes up against. This is exactly the thing you confront when you say, I am on the path of love. And you have this idea or this sense that opening to love means opening to unconditional love. It means I'm going to love everything. I'm going to have love in me and have it pour out. I'm going to give love. Love is not a transaction. It's not a trade. If you love me, I love you. Unconditional love as a summit and as a gauge for pinpointing resistances is one of the components of the path of love. And you can have many lovers, you can love many things in many ways. And the path of love is really taking a look at, well, what does love mean to you? What is your experience of love? And if you're not on the path of love, it's like, well, I have this sense of what love is. And if something doesn't fit with that, then it's not love. And if it does fit, then it is love. Whereas if you're on the path of love, now, so that's if you're not on the path of love. If you're not on a path, you're, you're standing still or you're lost. But if you're standing still, you're not walking. You're not walking the path. You just have this one size fits all, this one thing of this is love, this is not love. And it might even be that your idea of love, you don't even need to pursue it. You don't have this sense of, oh, it's valuable to me. Oh, I wish I had more of it. Even in, even in of that of itself is a huge step. Really, really, the, the, the most massive, the most epic, grand, life-transforming, astonishing thing, the most profound thing that can ever occur to a human being is for them to take the first step on a path. That is just, that is 
That is shaking to the bones. That moment, that single step, that tiny thing, which is the first step on a path. Wow. And if it's something like the path of love, something as profound as love, as deep as love, as life-changing as love can be, and someone's opened themselves to say, well, I've just been walking around with this idea of love, and it's a limited idea of love. And I realize that I do want more of it, and I do need to change. And it is possible to get more of it. It's this hope. It's this opening of a sense of more, a sense of expanding, and a sense of a journey. I'm off on a journey. Do you know that feeling of, oh, we're off, up and away? That, that sense of, oh, goodbye, see you later. It's, t- it's my time to run. There's something in that in the first step on a path. Something in that in the realization that this is a direction. And if it's something like the path of love, wow. Now, more experienced walkers of the path of love, they're aware of this. They're saying, now, where are my resistances? Where am I not loving people? Where am I being conditional with my love? And they're active about it. And they're doing techniques. And they're using it as a practice. They're using it as a practice and they're having their moments of opportunities. They're saying they see their moments where they don't love as opportunities to learn how to love. Because love is central to them. Love is the path they've chosen. Love is the path they're walking. So that's a few things about the path of love. And oh, the path of love is is uh, <laughs> I'd say the if you talk about thrill seeking and the daredevils, the if you're a daredevil, then there are two paths that suit you out of these five. One is the path of meditation, and the other is the path of love. These two paths really are, they take guts. They take, uh, <laughs> they take really something, they, they take a lot and they give a lot. Like, there's a tear coming out of my eye right now, just, just trying to, uh, <laughs> Just trying to think of like what it takes. You know, you can you can you can play it safe with the path of knowledge. And you can play it safe with devotion. If you really devote yourself to someone, you you are playing it safe. You can stay within a a well-known path and and the path of action, well, you know, that's that's also pretty safe in a sense. I mean, you can do you can make mistakes. And there are things that go wrong, and there are always ups and downs. But you can walk. You, see, this is the difference, though. You can walk the path of knowledge and devotion and action safe, relatively safely. Compared to meditation, 
and well, you see, the thing is the 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 thrill seeking does the risk does come into meditation at a certain point, but you can do the path of meditation without. Well, maybe maybe it is maybe it's at a certain point. Maybe it's like to get to certain depths, you need the risk, you need the thrill seeking complex. But with the path of love, you can't get around it. There's no way around it. You have to have the guts. You have to be stepping into it's in it's the step into the swamp. It's you you're going to be swamped. You're going to have the whole ground dissolve and the whole world dissolve before your eyes. It's falling into quicksand. So the path of love is <laughs> it's for the daredevils. It's for those thrill seekers. So Maybe that suits you, maybe not. Maybe you're thinking, oh, like I often do. Now, I'm no saint. I'm no, I'm no expert in love, believe me. I've only, I've only walked these paths enough to be able to talk about them, really, and to talk about them in the way that I have. I'm by no means an expert. And I am knowledgeable, I'll give you that. I do have a lot of knowledge. And really, the path of knowledge was my starting point. The path of knowledge was the thing that opened things for me. And I was very fortunate that I didn't get stuck in that. And I was able to open up to these avenues and follow my nose further and deeper and to have these other paths, these other ways of exploring reality oh. can you love knowledge can you love devotion can you love action can you love karma love good action and can you love meditation is that what needs to happen for these paths to open up deeply? Is that what needs to happen for these paths to be integrated or weaved together? I sometimes get the image of a rug that's being weaved with these threads. I don't know why. It's just an image that comes to mind. And that's, of course, why I keep saying that there are certain threads or skewers can you skewer the rug with a thread? I hope that's a useful analogy. I'll probably use it again. So I think today we'll finish with a few moments of silence because we've been through a lot and we've talked about so much. Sometimes I wonder if we should have broken these down into an episode each for knowledge, devotion, action, meditation, and love. And we could do that because there's so much to say about each of these. But at least here you have a sense, 
seeing them or hearing them all together at the same time, you have a sense of what a path is. You can distill the principles and the qualities that are in all of them, which will give you this idea of what a path is. And now you can even you can find your own path. You can find your own path. Now this word path means more to you, I hope, than it did at the start of the conversation. So if it's comfortable for you to do so, stop what you're doing, sit down, close your eyes, relax, take a few deep breaths, and we just do an open meditation, just to listen to your thoughts, listen to your feelings. And notice what you're thinking right now. Notice what's coming up. And just feel what your response to listening to these words is. Notice what's changed for you since the beginning of this conversation. And just relax, be quiet, and have a few moments of silence and stillness. And that's all I have to say for now.